Welcome to the Council of Institutional Investors podcast on corporate governance and capital markets regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. The purpose of these monthly episodes is to update CII members and the general public on significant developments in U.S. corporate governance and capital markets regulation and CII's related advocacy activities. This update covers a period from October 3rd, the Halloween, or October 31st. The following is my top 10 list of events over that period. Number 10, on October 3rd, House Financial Services Committee Ranking Member Patrick McHenry of North Carolina sent a letter to National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. The letter expresses concern about press reports that President Joe Biden may issue an executive order under the International Emergency Economic Powers Act to regulate certain outbound investment flows to China. Representative McHenry wrote, to effectively combat China, we should first map out the problem and then design solutions, not the other way around. Representative McHenry also wrote, a ready fire aim approach would run counter to decades of U.S. investment policy. He also suggested that the administration consult with the Treasury's Office of Terrorism and Financial Intelligence to evaluate the effectiveness of existing investment-related sanctions. Those include sanctions arising from the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act, executive orders targeting new investment in Russia following its invasion of Ukraine, and restrictions involving publicly traded securities issued by Chinese military-industrial complex company. Number nine, on October 20th, the Council of Institutional Investors sent the letter to the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board in response to the request for comments on their application and use of interim attestation standards. Letter stressed the importance of updating the interim attestation standards starting with AT-101 attest engagement. The letter says AT-101, which was developed by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants more than 30 years ago, is clearly in need of an update focused on modern practices and investors' interests. When updating these standards, the letter advises that the PCOB should also consider developing and issuing attestation guidance or standards related to voluntary sustainability disclosure. Letter warns that without such guidance and standards, investors could be subject to heightened risks with respect to the credibility of the sustainability information they receive. The letter also points out that most investors have little knowledge of attestation reports and auditing in general. To potentially improve that situation, CI recommends that the PCOB focus more of its resources and collaborate with professional investor organizations and academic institutions to help the investor community improve their understanding of both. Number eight, on October 11th, a senior Securities Exchange Commission official strongly endorsed the work of the Independent Oversight Committee. The Independent Oversight Committee reviews compliance by leading proxy advisory firms with a global set of best practice principles. Speaking remotely at the Independent Oversight Committee annual stakeholder forum in Rome, Italy, Valian Afshar, special counsel in the SEC's Office of Mergers and Acquisitions, said, I'm glad to see the IOC is continuing to function as it was intended. Mr. Afshar said the Independent Oversight Committee influence and diverse composition incentivizes it to take its role seriously. 
Council of Institutional Investor Board Member Michael McCauley and CI's Executive Director Amy Boris serve on the Independent Oversight Committee, as do several CII member representatives. Number seven, on October 7th, the Securities Exchange Commission reopened the public comment periods for 11 rulemaking releases and one request for comment due to a technological error that resulted in a number of public comments submitted through the commission's internet comment form not being received by the commission. The majority of the affected comments were submitted in August 2022. To ensure that interested persons have the opportunity to comment on the impacted releases or to resubmit comments, the SEC is reopening the comment periods until November 1st. The affected releases include the following seven rulemakings that would, one, require companies to expand climate-related disclosures in their SEC filings, two, provide more information about and additional investor protections in special purpose acquisition companies' initial public offerings and mergers between SPACs and private operating companies, three, enhanced corporate cybersecurity disclosure, four, enhanced disclosure about stock buybacks and tag that information using inline XBRL, five and six, implement two rules intended to give investors more clarity about investment funds that take environmental, social, and governance factors into account, and number seven, enhanced securities lending disclosure. In addition, the SEC reports that the technological error also may have affected certain comments with respect to eight self-regulatory organization matters. Notice said the commission will evaluate any comments resubmitted with respect to these matters and consider whether further action is warranted. Number six, on October 25th, House Financial Services Committee Ranking Member Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, an investor protection entrepreneurship and capital markets subcommittee ranking member Bill Heisinga of Michigan, sent a letter to Chairman Maxine Waters of California. The letter requested that she invite Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler to testify before the full committee next month. Letter argues that recently announced technical errors and workforce issues at the SEC, sweeping rulemakings, insufficient comment period, and regulation by enforcement in the digital asset space necessitate the committee's attention now more than ever. Number five, on October 21st, Securities and Exchange Commission Commissioner Carolyn Crenshaw gave a speech at the European Corporate Governance Institute in Brussels, Belgium. In the speech, Commissioner Crenshaw explains that Securities and Exchange Commission's climate-related disclosures proposal is squarely within the SEC's remit to promulgate disclosure rules for the protection of investors, and that the SEC is responding to investor demand and the evolution of the marketplace and is not trying to nudge behavior toward a normative outcome. Mr. Crenshaw said that in the time since the proposal, there have been demonstrably false assertions that the SEC is acting as an environmental regulator and seeking to decarbonize the economy and is crossing a line in terms of its authority with this type of regulatory action. As a factual matter, the proposed rulemaking 
concerns disclosure information by public companies concerning climate-related risks. It neither usurps a board's business judgment, nor does it seek to nudge behavior into a normative outcome, regulate the environmental impact of companies, or restructure the capital market. Rather, the proposed rule seeks the standardized disclosure that investors use to inform their investment and voting decisions. Mr. Crenshaw also said that these disclosures are not designed to move markets or impact climate change, but investors are increasingly seeking and using climate-related information. Mr. Crenshaw also said climate-related disclosures and strategies exist and are being used by companies today. Companies are making claims about becoming carbon neutral and advertising their eco-friendliness. Mr. Crenshaw concluded that it is the SEC's job to help ensure that investors have adequate information and that companies can be held accountable for the information they are providing to investors and that investors then use to make investment decisions. Number four, on October 24th, speaking at the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association 2022 annual meeting, Securities Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler discussed the commission's efforts to promote greater competition among market intermediaries. Chair Gensler stressed that regulators must remain vigilant to areas where concentration and potential economic rents have built up or may do so in the future. To address the natural tendencies for central intermediaries to benefit from scale, network effects, and access to valuable data, Chair Gensler said the SEC draws upon a number of tools related to transparency, access, and fair dealing to fulfill Congress's vision regarding competition and highlighted how the commission is looking to apply these tools across the fixed income, equity, and private markets. Observing that an important segment of the equity market is off exchange and tending toward centralization, with a significant portion of the retail orders being sent to just a few large wholesalers, Chair Gensler expressed concern that retail investors may not be getting the best prices possible. Accordingly, he's asked the SEC staff to make recommendations for the commission's consideration intended to address six areas. Number one, enhancing competition in the equity markets and leveling the playing field between the dark market and the lit market. Number two, harmonizing the tick size across different market centers, whether a quote or trade is on exchange or off exchange. Number three, enacting an SEC level best execution rule. Number four, instilling greater competition for retail market orders on an order by order basis through auctions. Number five, lowering the maximum fees exchanges can charge for access to protected quotes. And six, updating rule 605 so that investors receive more useful disclosure about order execution quality. In addition, Chair Gensler defended the Commission's February 2022 proposal that would require registered private fund advisors to provide detailed reporting to investors of fees, expenses, performance, and preferential treatment. Chair Gensler argued that more competition and transparency could potentially bring greater efficiencies to this important part of the capital market. Number three, on October 25th, speaking at Georgetown University, 
Securities and Exchange Commissioner Mark Ueda discussed the comparability of ESG disclosure and fund documents and the continued importance of financial materiality to the commission's disclosure regime. Mr. Ueda cautioned that if the SEC moves away from a materiality standard that focused on financial return, it risks a regime that will likely increase the costs and complexities of disclosure and be subject to the whims of the administration in power. Although Commissioner Ueda acknowledged that critics of ESG rating firms have raised valid concerns that the methodologies employed are opaque and that it is difficult to understand how a company is rated, he argued that it is an open question as to whether the commission must step in and mandate uniform disclosure requirements. Mr. Ueda warned that a prescriptive commission rulemaking may not be sufficiently nimble or effective with respect to these types of disclosures as investor and third-party views of what ESG disclosure is important will likely shift over time. In addition, Mr. Ueda expressed concern about the pace and breadth of the commission's regulatory agenda in general and with respect to ESG-related rulemaking. Mr. Ueda argued that the SEC should not overwhelm firms with significant and costly new regulations in light of high inflation, supply chain concerns, labor shortages, and the continuing effects of the pandemic on the economy. Number two, on October 19th, the Council of Institutional Investors submitted a letter to the Securities and Exchange Commission. The letter called inadequate NASDAQ's attempt to correct concerns addressed by CII and the SEC staff about its proposed rule change to allow companies to modify certain pricing limitations for companies listing in connection with a direct listing with a capital raise. To address CII's and the staff of Securities and Exchange Commission's earlier concerns about the proposed rule, NASDAQ proposed requiring a company that is offering securities for sale in connection with a direct listing with a capital raise to retain an underwriter. NASDAQ also proposed to modify the pricing range limitation so that provided other requirements are satisfied, a direct listing with a capital raise can be executed in the cross at a price that is above the highest price of the price range established by the company in its effective registration statement only if the execution price is at or below the price that is 80% above the highest price of the price range. CI's letter says these changes would not rectify concerns about traceability expressed by CII. Traceability is critical to investors' legal entitlement to certain anti-fraud protections under the federal securities laws. CI's letter also points to current data indicating that among the three current paths of entry in public markets, direct listing may have the highest risk of creating public companies that violate a core principle of good corporate governance, the principle of one share, one vote. The letter adds that the exchange's new proposed changes do not address the poor governance practices that appear endemic to companies that become public through a direct listing. And the number one most significant development in U.S. corporate governance, capital market regulation for the period from October 3rd to October 31st, occurred on October 26th, 
when the Securities Exchange Commission adopted a rule requiring stock exchanges to add listing standards that require companies to develop and implement policies providing for the recovery of erroneously awarded incentive-based compensation received by current or former executive officers. The rule applies to all required statements made to correct errors in previously issued financial statements, which includes little r restatements that are more difficult for investors to detect, a provision for which CII has strongly advocated. The Commission first proposed a compensation recovery rule 2015 and reopened the comment period on the proposal in October 2021 and again in June 2022. CI participated in the drafting of the language of Section 954 of the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010, from which the rule is derived. Section 954 required the SEC to have the stock exchanges set listing standards mandating that listed companies create and enforce clawback policies related to executive compensation. Even before the enactment of that legislation, CII was submitting letters in 2008 to Congress and the SEC, urging them to strengthen clawback rules consistent with CII membership-approved policy. Under the new rule to stay listed on the exchanges, companies will have to put in place written policies providing that in the event that an accounting restatement is required, they will recover incentive-based compensation paid to the current former executives based on any misstated financial reporting measure. This applies to compensation received during the three-year period preceding the date the company is required to prepare the accounting restatement. The recoverable amount is the amount of incentive-based compensation received in excess of the amount that otherwise would have been received had it been determined based on the restated financial measure. These policies will have to appear in companies' annual reports and be provided in tagged data format. And reports also will have to include information about whether companies applied the policy, the date they were required to prepare a restatement, the aggregate dollar amount of erroneously awarded compensation attributable to the restatement, the aggregate amount that remains outstanding, and any outstanding amounts due from any former or current executives for 180 days or more. Stock exchanges are required to file the proposed listing standards with the SEC 90 days after publication in the Federal Register, and the listing standards must be effective no later than one year after publication. Listed companies will be required to adopt recovery policies no later than 60 days following the date the listing standards become effective. SEC Chair Gary Gensler said the new rule will strengthen the transparency and quality of corporate financial statements, investor confidence in those statements, and the accountability of corporate executives to investors. Both Commissioners Esther Peirce and Mark Ueda voted against adopting the rule. Commissioner Peirce said she could not support the rule because it fails to permit stock exchanges to create workable listing standards themselves. It could impose significant costs on shareholders, and it does not permit company boards to determine when clawing back compensation makes sense. Commissioner Ueda complained that the SEC based its economic analysis of the rule on data from 2015. 
Fisher also objected to little r restatements being included in the rule, saying their inclusion appears to conflict with the statutory directive and even some of the underlying data. That completes my monthly corporate governance and capital markets update. If you have any questions regarding any of the issues discussed, please feel free to email me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.